Okay, we are in uh, we're in Matthew chapter five, continuing on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to pick up from verse seventeen. Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of the law shall smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So the, the, the Sermon on the Mount as a unit... As a unit, the Sermon on the Mount is... So this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. As a unit, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, the Messiah, Jesus' interpretation of the righteousness of the law in contradistinction to the Pharisees' interpretation. Now, remember, at this time, they're still under the law. We're no longer under the law because Jesus said... Nothing shall pass from the law until all is accomplished in verse 18. So in other words, when Jesus in his life fulfills every commandment of the 613 commandments of the law and dies on the cross, he says, it is finished. He accomplished everything and we are free from the law. But at that time they were still underneath the law. But what he gets back to again and again is the heart's intent here. He gets back to their heart's intent. Those we can learn from. As a unit, this was to teach what is the righteousness behind the law. And then he says, not even a single stroke shall pass from the law. That is like the dot on our letter I. That is a tiny little uh, uh, touch in in, in one of their their letters. So you take the smallest letter and 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 just a little tail on it, like like a dot on the I. He says, nothing will, will be done away with. So in other words... Uh, if you want to take this in total for what it means, you go back under the law because you're not allowed to free any from this. But then he says, your, your righteousness has to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So again, he's saying the, scri- the Pharisees are missing it. Now he's going to teach us what the righteousness of the law is. So in verse 21, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. So, you know, he, he, again, he says, you have heard it said. So he's dealing with their oral traditional law. He is not dealing with the written law. He's not dealing with the written law. He's dealing with the oral law. When he dealt with the written law, he said, it is written, it is written. He's repudiating their oral law. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I'm sorry, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. So this part, whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court, is not in that, that, uh, that written commandment. So they take a verse... And they add something to it. And he says, let me tell you something, what this means. He says that, that you want to talk about being liable to the court? He says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Who is, every, 
whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, or, he, or the real world word here is the Sanhedrin. That's that 70 plus 1 uh, board of, of uh, uh, Pharisees and, and Sadducees, plus, plus the, uh, the high priest. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. So before you go out and kill somebody, you generally have malice toward them in your heart. He's saying that's enough. In other words, just to have the hatred there goes against the spirit of the law as it was given. This is what we can learn from. To hold something and to say, to say of somebody so that you're angry with your brother, you shall be guilty before the court. Everyone who is angry, who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. I mean, just to be angry with one's brother. You see how God turns the whole thing back on us? Maybe He's given me something to be angry about. Everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. God wants us to deal with things. And then He says, if you say to your brother, if you say to your brother, um, whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Sanhedrin of the Supreme Court, and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Jesus deals with the hard issue. So they were not guilty of murder till they killed somebody. We are guilty. Jesus talks about the guilt that comes. Jesus talks about the guilt that comes if just, there's even malice in our heart long before the event of murder takes place. You see, Jesus raises the bar on us. We have to live in some, under something much higher than the law. He gets at our heart. And then he goes on and he expands on this. He says, if you're presenting your offering, in verse 23, at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So, so he says, you know, if, if you're making your offering, we don't make offerings before the, the altar in the formal sense anymore. We don't do that. They had to bring certain offerings forward. He says, when you're doing that, he says, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. It's not, I have something against my brother, I have to deal with it. No, my brother has something against me. Well, what does that have to do with me? That's his problem. But Jesus raises the bar. He says, if he has something against you, deal with it. Deal with it. Well, why do I have to deal with it? Why doesn't he have to deal with it? Let him deal with it. You know, if he wants to come here and say he's sorry, I'm here to receive it. That's exactly as the world says. But Jesus says differently. He has something against you. Go and try to have it reconciled. Now, it may not be possible to have it reconciled. In other words, you go to them and they want no part of it. Okay, but you've tried. You've tried. He says, if he has something against you. Now, let me tell you how not to have it reconciled well. To go to your brother and say, you know that thing you did to me? I forgive you. If you were 1% responsible, even 1%, go just say, you know, for what I did, I'm sorry. For the things that I said, I'm sorry. 
And, and, and uh, um, this is what he's saying. Just don't point out your brother's 99% wrong. But for what I've done, I'm sorry. Now, whether they take the step or not is not up to you, nor is it your problem. Jesus said, as far as it concerns you, you go and be reconciled with your brother if you know that he has something against you. Isn't that interesting? Now, they will not always receive you. There's not always going to be a receipt in this. So, you know, he'll not always receive you, but this is something that you can begin to think about. This is what Jesus, this is the standard that Jesus holds people to. You see how this is so much deeper than just, you shall not commit murder? I mean, he's talking about reconciliation here. He really wants reconciliation. Verse 25, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. So he says, make friends quickly with your opponent at law. You know, I I don't know if you've ever been involved in a lawsuit, but after a while they can start to take on a life of their own. You know, you feel like, you know, well, I've already spent so much, I've got to go through with this. And take the loss. Jesus is saying, take the loss. Try to be reconciled with your brother, even if the reconciliation has to be when you're waiting out in front of the courthouse together. And usually that happens, you're waiting together outside the, the actual court. He says, even in that moment, at that last minute, after you've expended all this money on lawyers already, try to have reconciliation. You see the standard that Jesus calls us to? This is totally up to you. Jesus forces nothing upon us. But he's saying, you want to have a better life? Try to reconcile. Even to the point of it's just just as you're on your way to the courthouse, and you see the person going... Try to reconcile. This is what he's saying. You see, Jesus calls us to something much higher. Why do I, as a believer, why am I called to this and not the other guy? Because I'm a believer. Because I'm the one who realizes that Jesus gave himself to me. The other person may not. I am the one who is to initiate this. If we always wait for the others to initiate reconciliation, there'll be, no much, there'll be not much reconciliation in our lives. God calls us to be the initiators of reconciliation. Would you like to walk as Jesus has instructed you? Or would you like to walk as the world? The choice is yours. The choice is mine. He doesn't force us to do this. This is what He says. This is what He calls us to. This is what He calls us to. To a life of reconciliation. Verse 27, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into into hell. If your right arm makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Okay, so Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. 
So they felt that they were fine as long as they didn't commit adultery. As long as they didn't go so far as to commit adultery. And in many people's mind, that only meant once they were married. Before they were married, they could do whatever they want. Jesus raises the bar on this. Jesus raises the bar and he says, "Uh uh-uh. He says, if you but look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. These are strong words. He says, it's the heart's intent, because before you ever commit the, uh, the, the, the act of adultery, there's the heart's intent. And that heart's intent condemns us. Jesus said, that's where you need to deal with. And I'll tell you, if you start dealing at that level, the adultery never comes, because you deal with it at that level. At that level, you deal with it. So you see how he calls us to something much greater. I've talked with Jewish folks in Israel, and they, you know, they, they told me, oh, you have it so easy in Christianity, you just ask forgiveness. I said, no, Jesus raised the bar on me. You don't commit adultery until you have the very act. If I have lust in my heart for a woman, Jesus said it's equivalent with adultery. I mean, the guy was shocked. He said, who could ever live that way? This is what he calls us to. Don't you see he wants our hearts He wants our mind under the control of Christ. This is what he calls us to. It's a much higher calling. Then he says, you take great pains with this. He said, if if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Better to deal with this than to have it lead you into hell. Let me give you the extrapolation of what this must mean. Um... If you have trouble with pornography, and I have been there, I mean, this is an important part of my testimony, had God delivered me from this on the day that I got saved. I was very much addicted to this, and I threw out all the magazines that I had. And, and uh, uh, for me, there was no internet at that time. But it, because of in, the internet, it's so much easier now to have access. And I had access because I worked in a gas station and men would come and throw away their magazines and I would, was able to pick them up when I'd clean the parking lots on the highway there going into New York City. But, but um, now the access, there's, there's no access problem. So what do you do? You, there must be an accountability. I have gone so far to instruct young men and I'll instruct you the same way. To not ever use your computer when you're alone. That I, and I've known young men, they've done this. They've taken their laptop and it stays in the room of a friend. And they want to use their laptop, they go to that room and they use it, or they go to class and they use it, but they're never alone in the room with their laptop. You say, well, that's an extreme. Well, how about gouging out your right eye? Is that extreme? How about cutting off your right hand? Is that extreme? You see, Jesus takes extreme pains. You have trouble being alone in a room with a woman studying? of what it might lead to, don't be alone in a room with a woman studying. I've known people that they didn't want to be together, even though they were engaged, they didn't want to be alone together in places of temptation, so they'd only meet in public places. I have no problem with that. That is a lot less extreme than the extreme that Jesus gives. This is what he calls us to. I've known men, there's these accountability programs so that you sit with a guy and a, you, you, you sign up on this thing and so that every URL that you go to, it sends that URL to your accountability partner. And so they can watch where you're going. Every URL. Now, can you get around it? Yeah, you can just go to another browser and get around it. 
But there are steps that you take. There are steps that you take. It may be so extreme that you, you never sit alone and you only use a computer in a public place. There are steps that you take. Jesus knows that this is really a tough one. When He's calling us, and He's saying, when, when you have this thought, you're committing adultery already. He knows what He's talking about. That's why He puts such an extreme here. I mean, how would anybody ever say this? If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Or, or, or causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to, to, to sin, pluck it out. Gouge it out. This is what He calls us to. There are steps that you take. It's a decision you make. Would you like to walk with Him? And I'll tell you, the Word of God is very clear. It says, Fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to all men. You fear God and you keep His commandments. Fear God and keep His commandments. There are blessings that are spoken about in the Bible because of fearing God and keeping His commandments. Psalm 112, you fear God and you delight in His commandments and blessings flow. The last verse in Ecclesiastes, fear God and keep His commandments for this applies to all men. This is an example of fearing God. Father, I fear you. And if you think that, well, once you get married, you don't have, you, you're not going to need pornography anymore, that's a lie too. If you are caught up with pornography before marriage, it does not end when you get into marriage. Maybe, maybe you will get through your honeymoon without it. But it won't last long. You'll be right back in the pornography. I know it because I have worked with many men. If you are in pornography now, marriage does not protect you. And then it will start to eat away at your marriage. You deal with it now. You pluck out the eye now. Deal with these things now. There are radical things that you do. There are systems of accountability that you go through. You deal with it. This is the spirit of the law. Verse 31 it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I'm going to talk more about, more about um, divorce uh, when, when we get into this in, in, in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus deals with this. So I'll talk more about it at that time. I will just mention it now. So, so if you're married... Try to stay married until we talk about that in more detail. But, but for now, let me just mention, let me just summarize it. So, you know, I'm not going to give it, go through all the verses right now, but I will just summarize it so you know what he's talking about. First of all, divorce was never meant to be, but because of our hardness of hearts, Jesus said it has come in. He says the only exception for, for where you can have a divorce is where there's been unchastity. Not that there has to be divorce. So, say... There's a married couple and the woman runs off and she spends a night with, with some other guy and comes back. There, there are then grounds for divorce. There doesn't have to be. The better way is reconciliation. That is the better way. Reconciliation. If there's a pattern there that it goes on, he says there are grounds on that basis and on that basis only because of unchastity, because of immorality in a marriage for divorce. But you're not free to remarry. Neither party is free to remarry. If you're in the Lord, here's the Lord's commandment. That you pray for reconciliation. You pray that it comes back together. Because anyone who marries either of those in the divorced party is committing adultery. So, if 
you're, you get divorced because of unchastity. Can you never marry again? That's right. You can never marry again according to the Scriptures. You must pray for reconciliation. Unless that spouse that you were married to marries somebody else. Then you are free to remarry. Because then there is not the possibility of reconciliation again. Or if that spouse that you had been married to dies, then you can remarry because there is not a chance for reconciliation. That is the scriptural way. You know, I know it doesn't work very well in the church around here, but the great thing that you have is that very few of you have ever been married, and I don't think any of you here have been divorced, but I don't know that. But it's unlikely since you're only 18. So, but it's good to hear this. You know, you don't just move into and out of marriage very easily. Don't move into and out of engagement. You know, people say, oh, I, was, I was married, I, I, was, I was engaged to that girl, yeah, I was engaged to that girl. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> engagement is not something you just flippantly move into and out of. There must be accountability, there must be discussions, there must be advice. And, and you, you know, I've, I've had all sorts of people come to me on, on, on these sort of things. You know, for example, homosexuals would come to me. They say, well, we don't have the possibility to marry, so we can, we can do this. I said, what are you talking about? You know, you may have desires, but you can't walk in every one of your desires. I mean, when I was 20 years old, every woman that walked by, I was, you know, in my mind, I would want to have sex. You know, that doesn't mean that I can have sex. Do you see what I mean? Just because there's a desire there doesn't mean, okay, because I have the desire, therefore I can fulfill. Because I don't have a wife at this time, therefore I can fulfill it. No. No. You can't walk in it. You can't walk in it. Sure, there's lots of desires that come through your mind, but you can't just make a step and say you walk in it. I mean, what about people who, for one reason or another, are unable to ever marry? Can they go ahead and sleep around all they want because they have no other outlet? No. Well, who, who wouldn't be able to marry? Well, say, say you have a guy that's really, really ugly. No, no, this happens. Or somebody where they've been in an accident and, and you know, part of the face has been ripped off. You know, there are people like this that it happens. You know, I, I got very close to having to go to Vietnam. And, and I didn't have to go because the draft just ended before I had to go. But, you know, the word on the street was the, the, the type of, um, they, they would have these uh, landmines in Vietnam that you'd step on it, and there was a small delay. They'd pop up, there was a small delay, and it was programmed to go off right about belt high. And there were a lot of guys that came home with, well, any generals left. Are they, then what happens? There are a lot of people that, for whatever reason, cannot get married that don't have this particular outlet. So can they then do whatever they want? No. You can't just do whatever you want because you have desires in this direction, desires in that direction. These things are done in marriage. In marriage. And many young people will argue, oh, well, it's leading to marriage, so it's okay. It is not okay. When you break moral standards before marriage, they will be much easier to break in marriage. Because you know that person that you were with to be a liar. To be going against the things of God. You go against the practices and the morals of God before marriage. It's much easier to to go against them after marriage. He calls us to a higher standard. He calls us to a higher standard. This is what He calls us to. I mean, some people are, you know, for whatever reason, they, they can never marry. Can they then go off and do whatever they want? No. And it's the same way with, 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 with lots of people. 
He calls us to something higher. Jesus calls us to something higher here. Verse 33, And again, you have heard the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these, beyond this is evil. And the reason he says this is because the Pharisees had a way of saying something, and depending on the way they said it, which only another Pharisee understood, they had to fulfill it or not. It is akin to our saying, yes, I'll do it. And you cross your fingers. So, I'm not bound by it because my fingers were crossed. Or, yes, I'll do that. No, I crossed my legs. So, it doesn't, doesn't really hold. That is what it was akin to. Saying you would do something in a way that only you know that you don't have to fulfill it. They had the same sort of, of practice. And he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So when somebody says, well, to be honest, and they tell me something, I'm like, well, I assumed you'd be honest even if you didn't say to be honest. I mean, I assume it. Now, I know that it's just a, 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 uh, an expression these days. But... But you, you see what I'm saying. You don't have to have said that. Or if somebody says, you know, I swear on the Bible. That to me is a dead ringer that this person is a liar. If a person has to swear on the Bible to show that they're honest, then everything else that they've ever said is dishonest? You see what I mean? He's, this is what Jesus calls us to. He says, don't, don't think that you have to swear by this, swear by Jerusalem. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you've said it, follow through. You see, what he holds us to is a higher standard. This is what he holds us to. Jesus holds us to honesty. Well, go figure that God would hold us to honesty. This is what he calls us to. And it's not always easy to be honest. It is really not. There are situations that arise where the easiest thing is to say, well, you know, I, I really shouldn't own this software, but you know, it costs so much. And I'm a student, so it's okay to lie. Because one day I'll graduate and then I'll buy a copy, so then they'll get their money back. No. Then you would owe it with interest. You pay it back now. Or, yeah, this music that I have, I didn't really buy it, but it's okay because I'm a student. (laughs) And I can get away with it. No. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He has called us to something higher. You see, it, it's not always easy to be honest. And sometimes people will look at you like, why are you doing this? Why are you so anal about this? You know, the software, what's your problem? I don't want software on my computer that I haven't paid for because I know that the blessing of God is no longer there. There were some guys that were making really nice chemical structures on their computers for me. And I said, where'd you get this? I mean, well, we have this program. I said, do you own that program? Well, we, we, we have this program on our computer. It's not in your computer. Don't worry. But I said, no, these, these pictures are going out from my group. So I bought the program. You know, it's thousands of dollars because I would rather be devoid of a few thousand dollars than to lose God's blessing. I don't want to live like that. 
these same things hit you. There are situations that arise that it's hard to be honest. But God calls us to that. It is something much greater. And people will always, always respect you more for that. The, The Scriptures say the righteous will be remembered forever. You walk in righteousness, people will remember you for good forever. They will remember you in good ways forever. Verse 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And and give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So, this eye for eye, tooth for tooth is from the law, but it was the judicial penalty. So, if a person you know, killed another person, the judicial penalty was pronouncement could be made where this person could die in return. That was a limiting thing, meaning that you kill, you kill my brother, I can kill your brother, but I can't just go out and kill it. It has to be proclaimed by the courts. The court has to make this decision. The leadership had to make this decision. But I couldn't kill your whole family. So it was a restrictive thing. But what, they, what the Pharisees did is they took this to be an individual thing. Oh, that person did you wrong, do him wrong back. No, it was only to be judicial. That the courts could go up to this. But not for an individual God calls us to something different. Again, boom, Jesus raises the bar. You think Christianity is easy? This is the view of people who know nothing about Christianity. They think, oh, that's an easy religion, because whatever you do, you just say, God, forgive me, and you're okay, right? You know, once saved, always saved, you're cool. No, it's something much harder. He gets at our mind. He gets at our heart. He gets in my wallet. He gets in, in in my computer. You know, he gets in my MP3 player. Everything, everything he's getting at. He says, if somebody does you wrong, does not allow you to do the same thing back to them. Because what the scriptures taught in the Old Testament and again in the epistles, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. It is God who carries out vengeance. It is the court system that carries out vengeance. It cannot be us. He has called us to something higher. What we have chosen to walk in, it might be very easy, you know, to give your life to the Lord, to walk down an aisle, to raise your hand. But what you are signing up for is the highest calling ever. This is what Jesus calls us to, should we want to walk with Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much that even Jesus described this as the righteousness of the law. And in each one of these, we see that, that, Lord, You are getting at our hearts. Father, I pray for these young people, that You would so grab their hearts that they would want to walk honestly before You. That they would want to walk honestly before You. Oh, Father, I pray that You would so work on their hearts that they would want to walk honestly that they would want to walk with integrity. Father, I pray for my brothers here that are struggling, that may be struggling with pornography. Father, I pray that you work in their lives, 
is so work in their lives that they could go through the accountability that's needed to break them of this habit, yet they, lest they pull it right into their marriages. Father, I pray for these young women, for the ones that are struggling with sexual sin. Father, I thank you that you do not condemn the sinner. But in fact, Jesus was the most merciful with the sexual sinner. Father, I pray that you would just have mercy upon the young woman who is struggling. That your forgiveness is there. And show her what it is to walk in the way that you have for her. Father, I pray for your grace. The grace of God to abound. The grace of God to abound on their lives. Father, your mercies abound in their lives. In the name of Jesus, protect them. Protect them, O God. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercies. We give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.